0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 63. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at Journeyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going?
1: Hey, John, I'm doing great. For the listeners out there, we are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at nerd journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment.
0: So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, this is the second part of our discussion on managing technical communities with Nick Tolstachev. Uh, This time we dove in a little bit deeper on the actual position. Uh, what I found interesting in listening back is how much of the career guidance he was talking about specific to that position can actually be generalized out to like pretty much any position that you happen to be in. Um, although granted that uh, uh, community manager is probably a little bit more isolated and at the margins in most organizations where it actually exists. But I mean, just fighting for budget, you know, locking those things down, um, having backup people to do your job so you can take a vacation. It just, you know, all the things that he talked about and all the little tactics that he had, I I felt like were lessons that we could all learn.
1: I completely agree. And if you remember, Nick talked to us about his integrated approach to work and personal life in episode 62. Some people like to set strict boundaries there, but in this particular episode, he's going to go deeper through the work-life balance aspect of the community management job, and that was one of my favorite parts. So I won't spoil it. Here we are with part two of Nick Tolstachev.
0: talk a little bit about that community manager career path um, when you get good at something like that is there like a, a way that people you know reach out and you know ask you about you know um, leaving the community management position that you have and you know kind of like headhunt for, for that position when they're when they're looking to start up a community or is it more of like a, an active thing where you have to go convince them that they should be investing in something like that
2: Um, So in in my case, it's more the former. You know, I've gotten to a position and know enough people. Like, for instance, my current position at Automox uh, was a headhunted one because uh, uh, somebody I worked with and was good friends with at WebRoot, um, who then left WebRoot and went to Silence. he was now at Automox and Automox was talking about starting our online community and Richard was like, I've got just the guy for you. So uh, they brought me in and I I talked with them and they uh, ended up uh, hiring me to to build their online community for them. Um, But yeah, the the career path is all over the place. A lot of people burn out because it can be a very intense job. So they'll do community management for like two or three years and then they're like, I I can't do this anymore. Uh, a lot of people in that bucket i think end up getting into community management as a stepping stone like it's an entry-level job at a company that you can get hired on for then you do that for a couple years and you move on to like support or product development or some other role within the company Um, but for the people in it for the long haul yeah i think you do eventually reach a point where um you know, people will come looking for you to either give them advice or build a community for them. Um, And, you know, there's community consultants out there uh, who will come in and, you know, help you with your community or help you hire a good community manager if you don't know what you're looking for. Um, But then on the flip side, you know, since there isn't really a community department in most organizations, then, you know, you can't really climb up the corporate ladder unless you want to de-specialize out of community management and into a wider role within whatever department you happen to be in. So whether that's marketing or support or, or, you know, heading into the product org.
0: So you can't become like principal community manager or community management fellow or something like that?
2: Yeah, you can become principal community manager, but you're not going to be, you know, VP of community or, you know, VP of customer community if there isn't a whole department for that. So... Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's starting to change, you know, like a lot more boards are having awareness of online community and, you know, there are some companies that are starting to make a whole department out of it, but that's still relatively new. So the, the opportunities for that are less.
0: Yeah. I would imagine, you know, there's this entire movement for startups and, you know, post-funding startups, like where they're looking for all different kinds of metrics to um judge like whether this uh, company is going to be a success or not and mm-hmm. i wonder if you know uh, active community and, and engaged you know user base could be one of those metrics that uh um and and that maybe would uh, start to um be emphasized in in building a startup like hey not only do we have to you know have like a great product but we have to have an active group of people who talk to each other and support each other and um you know that kind of thing
2: yeah i think it's definitely starting to get out there as a differentiator and it's something that um certainly everyone at automox is very excited about you know the customers are excited about it the board's excited about it and it's seen as a differentiator because it's a way of multiplying your resources you know you can hire 10 salespeople and another 10 marketers to go out and sing your praises and close deals or you can enlist the help you know or not or but and you can enlist the help of your fans and customers to go out and spread the word and maybe you only have to hire half the headcount and the other thing you get out of communities is stuff you never planned for um you know like spice wrecks i wasn't Part of the community plan or roadmap that just kind of happened.
0: Um, You're talking about the uh, the unofficial that became official. Uh, um, SpiceWorks mascot, yeah. Mascot, yeah. <laughs> the, yes, the T uh, Rex <laughs> that was kind of rex yeah. Uh, orange T Rex, by the way. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> so that true to colors.
2: That kind of stuff is always neat. Uh, Another cool thing that happened like that was at at Logarithm, one of the power users on there decided that he wanted to start an award for the most helpful Logarithm employee. Uh, He's like, you know, we're always getting recognized for, you know, helping on the community, but the unsung heroes at the company who are helping us don't always get recognition. So him and the other power users got together and nominated a bunch of employees, and then we made a, a poll that we opened up to the wider community. And then uh, he, out of his own pocket, paid for uh, a trophy for that award and brought it to the next user conference and then had me award that on stage to the the employee who ended up winning, who was very proud of it. And the, the fun thing is, and that was the trophy I got to hand out on stage, so it's not the kind of trophy that if it had gone through official channels would have gotten selected, which is always fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, John uh, laughs himself silly. I was going to ask about (laughs) the expected time commitment of someone in this role, Nick. It seems like for, uh, I would guess, maybe if you're the only community manager, then it's a big time commitment because the community doesn't stop its activities on weekends. Right. Like the work week stops. So how do you balance that if you're in community management versus what the employer's expectation may be?
2: Yeah. So first piece of advice is, you know, don't make it a a hourly paid position because there is a lot of outside work. And again, you know, some people take a more, it's the weekend, it's my time. I'm not checking my email, but I, consider it a more holistic kind of way of living my life so you know i'll get stuff that i'll have to handle after hours because you never know when an emergency is going to happen um and in fact over time you start to develop a sixth sense for your online community so you'll get a niggling feeling that hey maybe i should go check my emails and see what's going on in the community and it may be you know nine o'clock at night and i just happen to to check in when there's something going down, some big flame war, or some emergency, and then I can respond to it right then and there and not have to wait until the next day. So yeah, I would say it's definitely definitely something that has a lot of kind of after hours work. Um, again, in a B2B type community, the traffic tends to be during the workday, which is convenient, but yeah, if it's a more hobbyist community, people are gonna be posting evenings and weekends. Uh, And then the other thing that helps as a kind of solo community manager is, you know, you will have discovered and kind of uh, developed a network of power users on your community. And once they reach a certain level, you can give them uh, moderator privileges so that if they see something egregious before you do, they can take care of it right away. And then you can just look at all the, the moderator actions as a, a backup to make sure nobody did the wrong thing.
0: It sounds like, um, you're, <laughs> you're describing, uh, almost like a, an it support role. <laughs> like, uh, is, is there something then about how, like the minimum size, you know, community management department that you should have? Like, uh, two or three people like you don't like investing in one person sounds like a like a recipe for burnout or or neglected community yeah uh,
2: most places you know if they have the budget for a full-time person and a serious community platform they're ahead of most companies out there so i don't often have the luxury of being part of a team um, the benefit there is, you know, you can go on vacation and have coverage and, you know, or take a sick day or be out with the flu for a week and you're not having to manage the community while you're recuperating or trying to take a vacation. Um, and what I typically do in those situations is I find someone else within the community who's or within the company who's really passionate about community and I kind of have them as my informal backup Um And again, it's like building a community is a lot like fishing, you're trying to land kind of the big fish, you're casting your net out there and, you know, people come and go, but then there are the people who are going to stick around and be really big contributors. And that's true both from within your customers, but also from within the company. There's going to be random people in random departments who just get community and love it and will be on there. And those are the people you can develop internally as your backup and your resources, you know, kind of in a skunkworks fashion. You know, it's not through official channels. And I think a lot of that's just because by its nature, community is very, very in contrast to a standard organizational structure. You know, it's like there's no there's no barriers to talking to people. It's not like you got to get time on the CEO's calendar to talk to them. You're talking to people from all different walks of life. And similarly with inside the company, it's like, you might become friends with somebody because of a shared interest, um, or, you know, you just get along well, and they may work in some other department. So it's, it's very much a, a lot of things end up being ad hoc just because of the nature of community, not just because it's underfunded in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I wonder, I, man, oh man, you said something there that I, it really, I had like a deep, interesting question, but I, I honestly <laughs> cannot think of what it was. Cause like what you said just last, like kind of overrode it. Um, uh, Nick Cordy, say something while I try to recover.
1: <laughs> I like the idea of uh, you know expanding your supportability of the community by leveraging the moderators. And yep. You're getting people to freely volunteer their time. They don't get paid for this. Yep. At least they didn't in Spiceworks. Yeah. They don't get paid to, to help keep the community, uh, I guess we'll say, in line and... Up to the standards and uh, rules that are applicable to what you want it to be,
2: right? Yeah, they that's, care enough, and that's where the social contract piece of it comes in. At least in my mind, is like, yeah, people are volunteering their time for free, and you know, you could consider them as unpaid employees in some senses. I mean, some people, like uh, we had a guy at Webroot, like he's on disability, and he just. You know, he doesn't have to worry about his day to day paycheck because he's unable to work and he's a Canadian and they have a good social safety net. Um, and he gives back by just going into online communities and helping people learn about online security and antivirus and, you know, how to protect their systems and how, what to watch out for. And that's, that's what he does all day, every day, because that's how he stays busy and engaged, you know, despite not being able to to work a full time day job.
0: I'm sure not all companies, you know, just want to invest like an infinite amount of money into communities, right? Right. So when you're fighting for budget, how is it that you can measure success of a community um, and show that to the organization writ large, you know, that, you know, investing, you know, just a, a few more resources, you know, even if it's a slice of like, you know, uh, a support person's time or, hey, we should get budget to like dual fund, you know, somebody for support so they can straddle the phones and answer questions, you know, in the community, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, what are some of the, the typical metrics that, that that you can go to the organization with?
2: Yeah, so uh, a lot of it is showing value to the bottom line. Um, so especially if you have some kind of formal advocacy program where you're spending money, you know, giving swag and you know, flying people into headquarters because they're great community members, um, you can look at their rate of renewal of the product, and it's like you know, in the high 90s versus whatever the average, you know, 78% is for the rest of your customers. Um, so there's that direct benefit, right? The, being an engaged community member means you're going to stick around and renew next year and, you know, tell all your friends about it. And um, the other more tactical metrics, typically you look at, you know, number of engaged users. So who are the people that have logged in in the last month? Um, you know, you look at your page views, you look at your traffic. Um, you also look at things like, um, are questions getting answered? So if people come in and ask questions and nobody answers, they're not gonna come back and your community is gonna die off. So you look at what the reply percentage is. So of the questions that got asked, what percentage got some kind of reply? You know, it might not have fixed their problem, but at least somebody took the time and trouble to come in and be like, hey, let's see if I can troubleshoot this with you or find you an answer. Um and then what was the next piece. Sorry, my train derailed my turn um and then the the other benefits i typically talk about is things like feedback on the product so having a idea section of your community where people can suggest features or ask for solutions to a problem that they have or use case and then other people can vote those up if they agree and then you can have conversations in the comments about how we would implement this feature or you know what would be the exact benefit and the product managers can go in there and have that direct conversation um so that's you know that's data you wouldn't otherwise have that you might pay thousands of dollars to a consulting company to run a focus group for you and you know with a thriving online community you can do focus groups on demand and you can get lots of people to volunteer to either give you off the cuff feedback or something more in depth like a beta test or a UI design session or a, you know watching somebody use the product interactive session so that kind of stuff is definitely speaks to the bottom line as well because yeah there's a lot of initial investment to pay for a full-time salary and a community platform but those dividends pay off down the road when you're saving you know thousands of dollars in in market research or not wasting money on an ad campaign that's going to go nowhere.
1: That's fantastic. And I'm guessing that all those things are things you probably learned after you took the job and didn't necessarily know them when you first started in as a community manager.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it was definitely beneficial at Intuit to have a, uh, a good mentor who you know, knew how things worked and could give me advice and answer questions. But a lot of it's trial by fire. Like, uh, one of my first experiences with that was at, uh, into on the QuickBooks platform. Um, so they had a team of moderators and I was one of them. And one of my responsibilities was the QuickBooks for Mac forum. Um, because I had a Mac background and was comfortable with it and one morning i think it was like monday i got into work at like seven or eight and the forum was exploding with people complaining about how all of a sudden a bunch of files had gotten deleted off of their desktops and it turns out it was quickbooks for mac that was causing this to happen so i was the first person to see this go down so i got the product manager for the mac product on the phone and you know sounded the alarm bells and he figured out what was causing the problem and got it stopped. And then there was all the questions on the forum, like, a, what should I do? You know, do I turn off my computer or do I leave it running? You know, if I turn it off, maybe it'll wipe some files and do some garbage collection at shutdown, which will make it harder to recover those files. Or in this case at the time, the Macs would do garbage collection in the background. So, you know, there may be a time limit on how long it can be before you can recover those files before they get wiped by the system or overwritten as free disk space. So we had to kind of figure out on our own what advice to give people. And then, um, we were kind of like PR until PR kind of stepped in and was like, shut down all communication. And they took the typical PR role of like no communication at all, except for some short you know, ambiguously worded statement. And then it was like radio science for like a week or two until, you know, the folks at Intuit figured out what to do, which in the end was offering data recovery services for people, but again, you know, that's hit or miss as to whether it was successful. And it ended up being kind of so poorly handled that I think there was a class action lawsuit that stemmed out of it. I mean, these, this was you know mac users running their small business so i'm a photographer with my mac and i'm using quickbooks for my accounting and i store all of my photo downloads in a single folder on the desktop because i don't know any better and i don't have any backups and quickbooks just uh deleted my entire life's work that's on this one computer so you can imagine how upset people were
1: oh my goodness yeah oh, but yeah
2: that i was getting like quoted in newspaper articles like stuff i would post on the forum would end up with my name and quotes on it in articles about this disaster because it did make the news so at that point i was like oh <laughs> i really better know what i'm doing here because you know whether quickbooks intended it or not i'm kind of the de facto pr person until pr steps in so you have to kind of learn how to handle those situations and now I'm much better prepared. So anytime I go into a new company, I'm like, all right, do you have a disaster plan? If not, let's write one and figure out all the people that we need to call and have some policies in place around, you know, how often are we going to communicate with people through which channels, updating them on uh, you know, whatever's happened, whether it's a data breach or, you know, the CEO got in a car wreck. It's like there could be any number of disasters that um would be, you know, affecting the company you work for that somebody's going to have to keep the public informed about otherwise it just turns into rampant speculation.
1: Wow. That's that's great information. I totally understand the learning trial by fire. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you Nick, if I'm someone who is super technical my day-to-day like really enjoy mm-hmm. working with the technology but really enjoy interacting with people and participating in communities. And I make the move to community manager. How I'm not going to be able to be as technical as I was is what it sounds like to me. What advice would you give me there?
2: Yeah, so you won't your technical skills won't stay as sharp, um, and you'll definitely get out of touch with technology. Like I left the IT world before virtualization was a big thing, and now it's something that's part of every IT person's day-to-day life, and that's a technology I missed out, you know, on getting to see and directly experience and get my hands dirty with. Um, but it's certainly a role where I still managed to keep the technical side so for instance um i took a break from technology and went to help launch a community for uh, professional cannabis growers and dispensary owners and that the whole company was the community platform so it was a kind of invite-only community for people who were professionals in the business And since it was a startup of three of us, you know, I was doing all the tech work on maintaining the community platform and making sure it was backed up and dealing with any technical issues that arose and also making sure, you know, that we had good backups and that they were tested restores and you know working with integrating stuff from the community into other products like you know getting the little intercom widget working on the page or you know sending data back to our cms from the community when people registered so that part of it i get to still be technical uh, and then the other part of it and this is not necessarily something that every community manager does but i find it hugely useful for me and i recommend it which is to get very familiar with the product and get very hands-on with it. So for instance, um, at AutoMox, one of the things they wanted an online community for is, uh, even though this is a platform for patch management, you can also push out code snippets and scripts to all your endpoints. Um, So they wanted a community as a place where people could share the stuff they've written with each other and have this kind of library of, of code snippets that work through AutoMox. And part of what I did to help get that going was, you know, get my hands dirty writing some code myself and, uh, you know, getting the community to say, Hey, I really had, wish I had a script to solve this problem. You know, like I want to make sure all of the users on my remote laptops that aren't in active directory, I want to force them to change their password. Can you write a script to do that for me? So that was something where I get to, uh get my hands dirty and, and do some technical work. And that's always fun. And it also provides great feedback to the company because I'm now a customer using the product. So I've got firsthand knowledge where I can say, well, this part was really confusing and this part didn't work the way the manual said it does. And you know, support says it's supposed to do one thing, but when I tried it out, it did another. So it, it's, uh, it gets that kind of independent point of view within the company when you become a user of the product as part of being a community manager.
1: And it also, in my mind, provides a way back. If you ever wanted to go into a more technical role, it it keeps your chops well, well versed enough to adapt to that.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is like, the troubleshooting mindset never goes away. It's something that you always bring to the table of like, well, let's break it down. You know, how is this supposed to work? You know, where is it failing? Let's narrow down the problem space and start testing some hypotheses. And it's like those skills are invaluable, whether you stay in a technical role in IT or whether you're trying to solve, you know, different or wider problems within the company in a different role.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there any maybe final thoughts that you might have as far as, you know career recommendations that you can make uh with getting involved in you know community activism and you know advocacy groups that that maybe uh people might have missed
2: um i would say if it's a career that you're interested in make sure that it's something you're doing as a hobby so i would have no problem hiring someone as a community manager who was a volunteer moderator on a forum about whatever their hobby is, you know, could be snowboarding, could be whatever. Um, But if they have that mindset where they enjoy it and they do it of their own free will, you know, they have that intrinsic motivation, you know, the skills and the other stuff you can teach. um, But, you know, you're going to have that interest. So I would say before you, you know, jump into a career switch, do that for two reasons. One, to see if you like it. And two, you'll get some background experience that you can actually use on your resume and use as a way to get into the field because there is definitely a demand for community managers out here. I know that talent out here in Colorado is pretty, uh, pretty tight. So it's a great time if you're wanting to make a career switch to kind of um, make that jump. And then the other thing that was true for me and probably for a lot of people is, uh, a lot of times it's easier to make a career transition from within inside a larger company than to start as a newbie somewhere especially since a lot of places you know only have the one community manager role so it might be hard to find a junior community manager opening um, so doing that as, a, as an internal transfer to another team a lot of times uh, or just you know if you are interested in that and your company already has a community manager, you know, become one of those informal people I talked about who participate on the community because they love it. And then I'll just end up training you in community management and making you my uh, informal backup when I go on vacation. And that's some, again, some good experience you can put on your resume.
1: Yeah, that reminds me so much of Jimmy T's episode where he talked about running the Minecraft community and doing a lot of that same stuff. It's interesting he didn't. He didn't actually go into community management, but he definitely has the skills. So, so much relatable experience and all these different things we do, whether it's personal or for for our full-time job.
2: Yep. And even if you don't end up becoming a community manager, you definitely learn some great skills that are gonna work in any role. And I like to tell people that I feel that community management is the purest form of leadership because you don't have any leverage. Like your boss has your paycheck over your head. You don't do what he or she says, then your career may be over. or You may be fired. Um, So you're going to do what they say, even if you don't think it's a good idea, or if they're not particularly inspiring in their speech to try and get you on board, you're going to be like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll get right on that. So in the community, you know, if I try and be heavy handed and tell you to do this or else, you're going to be like, pfft i go somewhere else and hang out in some other online community. So you really have to develop those key leadership skills of motivating people and inspiring them and getting them on board for something that's not at all tied to money. Um, and, you know, those are skills that you need even when you are someone's boss and you're paying their salary because they found that you're not going to have happy employees unless you are actually motivating and inspiring them. Uh, if you're just telling what to do because you're the boss, then you're going end up with some uh, pretty subpar performance.
0: That's a really good definition of leadership, actually. <laughs> getting people to do things without you know the leverage of uh, money or their job or their future in your hands.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think you know uh, whether we end up in a future with universal basic income or whether we end up, in one with killer robots, uh, with the killer robot side, we don't have to worry. None of us solve jobs because we'll all be dead. But in a world where everybody's basic needs are met, how do you enlist people to help you with a project or something you feel inspired and passionate about? You know, you're going to have to enlist those people without, you know, handing them money because they've already got that covered. Uh, and there's a fascinating book on this um, by a writer called Cory Doctorow, who's also a blogger on Boing Boing. And he wrote a book called Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, which is about the near future where there is universal basic income, you know, like anybody has an apartment and their healthcare and their basic food needs met. But if you want any luxury goods, you want a fancy mansion, you have to earn currency and the currency in that book is earned by people appreciating what you do. So every time I look at a painting that you painted, you get currency from me. Every time you read a book that I may have written or a blog post, I get currency from you. And everybody's wearing these kind of augmented reality goggles to keep track of all this. So it's an economy of attention. And the uh, the currency he calls Wuffy, which is uh, a nice, uh, nice silly name for it, but uh, it's the story of a project of restoring Disney World to its 20th century glory, and how he enlists the help of all these people to uh, come together and do this project. And he rises to fame and has his 15 minutes of fame, and then uh, I won't spoil any of the rest of it. But it's, uh, it's a nice, it's a book I think about often when I'm doing community management in that terms of uh, attentional economy and that kind of social contract.
0: Oh, man, I I must have passed that book so many times in in a bookstore. Okay, showing my age again. Um, He offers it as
2: a free download on his website. So he, interestingly, showing the value of community, he said when he would offer his books for sale on Amazon in print form or in Kindle format, but also for free on his website, he would get more... Uh, sales from people actually buying his book from the free downloads because people would recommend it to their friends or tell others about it or want to teach it in a course. And so that became a mechanism for him to get the word out.
0: That is fascinating.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple good writers out there writing about some of those impacts on a societal level. And Corey Doctorow is one and another guy is named Clay Shirky. He's written about some of the transformative effects of uh, online communities and social media. So, uh, and I think he actually teaches at NYU, teaches uh, one of the few courses out there on uh, online community and, and uh, the impact of that.
0: Awesome. Hey, Nick, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been eye-opening from start to finish. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, yes. Really appreciate your time and uh, it, if there, is there a way that um, uh, users can follow, or our listeners can follow your social media presence or or how, how do you go about that?
2: Yeah, so uh, because my last name Tolstachev is unique, uh, that's pretty much my handle on everything. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, what have you, all my gamer tags on all the various networks are Tolstachev, uh, that's spelled T-O-L S T O S H E V. So if you Google that, you'll either find me or uh, science articles that my parents have written. So <laughs> it's a strange mixture of uh, biotech from my parents' work and uh, funny pictures of me in SpiceRex costumes or on stage in a yellow tuxedo at Spice World. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Nick, th- thanks again so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. Oh, and I should plug the company I'm working for. So if you oh, go yeah. to uh, community.automox.com, uh, we've got you covered in terms of uh, talking about patch management and uh, automating that. So uh, if you want to come check out what I'm doing today, that's where I hang out most of the time.
0: Very cool. We'll definitely dive into that. Excellent. Thanks very much.
2: Thanks.
1: Community management's definitely a career option for the technology pro, John. And for what Nick was saying, it sounds like you can be as technical as you want to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a choice that all of us have in, in anything that we're doing. Um, I do like uh, thinking about that work-life balance and, and boundary drawing. Um, as someone who's actually like been in town with uh, Nick Tulsa and and met up with him, although I didn't you know sleep on his couch. Uh, it was a kind of a cool uh, discussion to, to listen to and hear his philosophy on. Um, I, I just, in general, I really miss that guy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I love chatting with smart people with interesting, relevant things to say. And, uh, you know, we need to do more of that.
1: We do. And speaking of relevance, I can't think of anything more relevant to this conversation right now than the John White School of Mentoring. If you're out there, and you're in need of some guidance, mentorship, there's no greater resource out there. Send that tweet out to Journey today for pressing and packaging.
0: Okay. <laughs> Anything else pop in your mind before we get out of here? No, sir.
1: Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney.
0: All right. Farewell, listeners. Uh, Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at Beat Journeyman. or Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios.